This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, September 19th, 2021, offered at the Church of the Messiah in Heflin, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is selections from James chapter 3 and 4 and the Gospel of Mark chapter 9 verses 30 through 37. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So usually around Easter or Christmas each year, the Learning Channel or the Discovery Channel or National Geographic will run some program about what the historical Jesus would have looked like. And they spend their hour worth of TV programming looking at archaeological evidence and artifacts and remains, and they pull passages from scriptures, and normally by the end of the hour, they have now, with computers, created a 3D model of the face of Jesus. Typically, the face that emerges from this work is someone with dark eyes and dark hair, more darkly complected, a man that is clearly of Middle Eastern descent, It's usually a face that's not particularly ugly or attractive. It's just sort of a plain-looking guy. Now, these renderings that we see on TV stand in stark contrast to how we usually have depicted Jesus in art. If you think about all of those big Renaissance paintings that we have in our Western history, Jesus is usually light-skinned with fairer hair and blue eyes, He typically is slim and maybe the tallest person in the painting. When the West art's influence is not dominant, we also see other cultures that will take and create images of Jesus that take on whatever the standard of beauty is for men in that particular culture or location. It matters how we depict Jesus. There is power in seeing ourselves in the images of Christ. So when we see Christ as white or black or Asian or Hispanic or male or even female, when we can see ourselves in the image of Christ, we can find our belovedness that God holds us in. But most Christians, even if they watch the National Geographic about what the historical Jesus looked like, or if they've seen Da Vinci's Last Supper, will have some image that comes to mind when they close their eyes and think about Jesus. A friend of mine's image was there was this sort of painting that got real popular in the, in the 1970s in churches that was a picture of a sort of long hair, hippie-looking Jesus and like full-on belly laugh, just with like a big grin on his face, clearly laughing. And that is the image of Jesus that they carried with them. One of the most impactful images of Jesus that I have come upon in recent years is by an iconographer that paints icons of Jesus using sort of contemporary issues that's going on in the day. And he painted an icon called Mama. And it's in the the structure of a piata, which is when 
when the Virgin Mary receives the body of Jesus off the cross. Except in this icon, Jesus is an African-American man in the likeness of George Floyd being held by his mother. But even as powerful as these artistic renderings of Jesus are, particularly when set into our contemporary issue, I think it's important that we remember that rather plain-faced guy that we know historically Jesus would have looked like. It's important that Jesus was a real person. And it's important that Jesus walked around and ate and drank with his friends and walked on roads healing people and casting out demons and that it was this very plain, simple face that looked with love and frustration on his disciples when they kept missing the point and that it was this very sort of simple and plain man that through his life, teaching, death, and resurrection would change the world. It's the face of that Jesus that I have in mind when I read from the book of James and this wisdom literature that we've been hearing for weeks, right? James is writing his letter to the churches to teach them how to act like someone that has been saved. Martin Luther was not a big fan of this book because he thought James spent too much time on works and not enough time on faith and that this contradicted Paul's writings and understanding of salvation. I think Luther got it wrong. I think Luther misread the book of James because James' book is based on the assumption that we are saved by faith and that that salvation challenges us to live out as faithful witnesses to Christ in the world. And for James, the simple face of Jesus is the example of a faith lived out in action. Can you think of a better example than Jesus of what James describes, that someone that has received wisdom from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy? James is so challenging to us because it seems impossible to live up to because he is pointing to the example of Christ as our model of behavior. So this morning, I want you just... Have a little thought exercise with me. If you feel comfortable, close your eyes. But if not, look at the ceiling. Wherever you look to when you conjure up an image. And I want the image of Jesus that you hold in your mind to kind of come into focus. And then, once you got Jesus' face, I want you to start letting the world around Jesus come into view. Sort of this countryside or little towns. And maybe you see the disciples around Jesus and a crowd swirling around. And they are on the road going somewhere, heading to a house that's maybe just up a little ways. You got it? Now, where do you see Jesus in that? Do you see Jesus at the front of the crowd leading them? Somewhere in the middle or in the back. And where we put Jesus, I think, matters on how we understand the gospel and how we understand what James is talking about. For most of us and in most of our art, Jesus is always at the center of the picture. In the movies, Jesus is always leading the way. 
or just so far ahead of us that Jesus is always out of the frame of the camera like he was in the robe all through that movie. But when I go back and I read this passage we have from the Gospel of Mark, together with this sort of understanding that the book of James is calling us for, when I look at the details, I sort of get the sense that Jesus actually, when traveling with his disciples, was not at the front, but that he was back a little ways. Because I don't think the disciples would have been running their mouth about who was greatest if they could actually see Jesus. Or if they thought Jesus was close enough to hear what they were saying. And the way Mark describes them getting into the house, it seems like the disciples have gone in before Jesus and are sort of settling in. And Jesus walks in after and says, hey, what were you all talking about on the road? Here, in one of the few times that our lectionary lines up a gospel reading with the epistle, I think we get to see in the gospel exactly what James is talking about. The disciples are near to God, as near as any of us have ever been. They are in the presence of the incarnate word of God in Jesus Christ. And yet, when left to their own devices, what they argue about is who is the greatest amongst them. Who will get the most honor? Who is the most important? In that moment, they give in to the temptation of the wisdom of the world, right? Particularly when confronted by the wisdom of God that Jesus is teaching. We've been hearing week after week in these passages of Mark that what Jesus has begun to teach is that he must go and be crucified and die and be resurrected. And the disciples' response to that is to not understand it and to give in to the wisdom of the world and begin to argue amongst themselves about who should be the most important. And then further living out what James is saying, what does Jesus say to the disciples when he comes into the room and finds out that this is what they're arguing about? He says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And he picks up a kid, a child, someone who is vulnerable, who has no independent wealth or power against any of the grown-ups in the room and says, when you welcome a child like this, you welcome me, but not just me, you welcome the God that sent me. This is the wisdom of God lived out in life, a wisdom that finds its fullest expression that eternal life comes through death on the cross. And the disciples have to choose. It's the world or Jesus. Now, we know the story of the disciples, and we know that they don't make that choice correctly the first go-round. And that it takes a while, which I think is an important lesson about the Christian life. That this choice that we have to make, that James is telling us that we have to choose between the world and between God, is a choice that we make not once, but again and again and again. It's not that we somehow lose our salvation. It's just that it's real hard to live out life according to being saved. And so James gives us guidelines of what do we need to look for to see if we are making the right choices. And James says, is what you're doing bearing out peace around you? Are you picking and choosing between people? Are you worried about who's getting more honors or glory over you? 
Do you find yourself surrounded by conflict or feeling jealous? Well, James would say, then it may be time to stop and think, which wisdom am I listening to? If there is conflict and I am jealous, then I am most likely listening to the wisdom of the world. If I find peace and I find that those that are around me are drawn into relationships of love and peace, then I am listening to the wisdom of God. I think in real practical senses is if you're always looking to have the best seat in the house or be the center of attention, it may be time to check in about who you're listening to. If you find yourself on the edges looking to see who needs to be invited in or taken care of, then that may be the place where you are sensing that Jesus is closer to you. Now look, we all need to be celebrated at some point in time, right? I'm not saying that it's you walk around for the rest of your life in a hair shirt or in, you know, covered in ashes. We need to be celebrated, but it's about what our motivations are that get us to this point that matter. And Jesus makes it clear that conflict will happen. The Gospels are full of conflict. James is full of conflict. And we're told in the last sentence of our passage of James that this is the step of the Christian life, that you should submit to God, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and that you should accept the grace of salvation in your life, and that then you should resist the devil. You should put aside the systems of evil and injustice that are in this world. You should resist the temptations of greed and power. And when you do that, that is when you can draw near to God and that God draws near to you. And this is where I think we have a little bit of problem with translation because it makes it sound like it's conditional. That we have to make the first move for God to draw near to us. But that's the other gift that this gospel reading gives us and that all of our gospel readings give us is that even as many times as the disciples fail to get the point, Jesus never leaves them. Jesus is always there waiting to welcome them back. And even when we maybe are giving in to the desires of the world and moving away from God, God never leaves us. God is just waiting for us to turn around and go in a new direction. So this week, think about where Jesus would be in a given situation. And maybe that's not at the center of everything with big arm Jesus like we see in the paintings. That Jesus may be the one that is out on the edges looking for someone that needs a kind word or needs to be invited in or needs help or just needs to be seen and loved for a moment because they are often overlooked and forgotten. And find those places where you can meet the wisdom of God and resist the wisdom of the world. Amen.